Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this morning is our gospel lesson recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Mark, the third chapter, verses 20 to 35. Since it has already been read, I'll read just the final three verses for you again. Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? He looked at those who sat around him in a circle and he said, Look, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Lord, these are your words and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, what unites your family? Is it your blood relation? Is it your genes? Is it maybe that you have common relatives, parents and siblings and cousins? Is it perhaps something more that unites you as a family? Maybe a common interest that we're a fishing family, or we're a music family, or we love the movies. Perhaps that bond goes even further. That those that you call family are those that you share a oneness in spirit with. Individuals that care about what you care about. Individuals that find interesting the things that you find interesting. Funny the things you find funny. As we see that bond of a family goes well beyond, most often well beyond, that connection of genes or connection of blood. In our text for today, we have this question concerning Jesus. Who is Jesus' family? And we see his response, that his family, those that are his brother and sister and mother, are those that do the will of God. And those that do the will of God are those connected to him by faith. So let us take up this question for today. Who is Jesus' family? C.S. Lewis once pointed out that it is utter, utter foolishness to say that Jesus was merely a good teacher, but to deny that he was the Son of God as he claimed to be. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that there's really only three options when it comes to Jesus. Either Jesus was insane... Jesus was evil and was lying, or Jesus spoke the truth and was the Son of God, just as he said. There are no other options. It is quite interesting that in our lesson for today, we see those first two presented. By those connected to Jesus, those that grew up with him, his close family, and also his kinsmen, unable to acknowledge that Jesus could possibly be the Son of God, they come up with other explanations. Yes, as we look closely in the text, as it begins, we see those that close to him. Upon seeing all these crowds gathering around him to hear his words, what they say, what he is saying, what's their explanation? He's out of his mind. He's insane. Some translations say even his family are saying these things about him. He can't possibly be speaking the truth. And why? It's been often said that familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you've experienced this in your own lives as well. Those that you are familiar with, those that you went to grade school with or high school with, college, those that maybe you share blood with, that you saw grow up from little on, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, it's maybe hard to give them the honor and credit that they deserve when they're all grown up. Let's say a younger sibling of yours gets an advanced degree, a doctorate degree. How difficult it is to kind of take their advice as a doctor 
And to not overlook it, just say, eh, it's my kid brother, my kid sister. What do they know, right? It's true, familiarity does breed contempt quite often in families. We see this with Jesus and those he's familiar with as well. How could he possibly be the Son of God and Savior? It's just Jesus, our brother. When Jesus visited his hometown of Nazareth after he began his public ministry, there were also many that he was familiar with, his neighbors who could not believe that he could possibly be the Messiah and the Son of God. When they saw him, their response was this, Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. As many, many even of close relation to Jesus, rejected him as the Son of God and Savior of the world and their Savior. Yet they overlooked one crucial piece of evidence, Jesus' miracles. You see, it is one thing to claim that you are something great. It is one thing to make up fanciful stories about what you have the power to do, but it's quite another thing to actually do that. You see, they overlooked the fact that Jesus had actually carried out miracles. Even on this occasion, an amazing miracle was performed, casting out a demon, allowing a man to see and to now be able to speak as evidence of the demon leaving him. But they overlook it. They simply say Jesus is out of his mind. There were others there, though, too, that could not overlook the miracle. They acknowledged, yes, this was something incredible that was done, but they had a different explanation. It wasn't that he was out of his mind. No, they couldn't say that. No, the way he did this miracle was he was possessed by the devil. By the power of demons, he casts out demons. But Jesus shows that this, too, doesn't make any sense. Why would the devil be opposed to himself and his own work? Why would he want to destroy the work of his own foot soldiers, so to speak? Fellow demons. It doesn't make sense. The only explanation is that Jesus must be on the complete opposite side, on the side of God, and he has power even over the devil to bind him, to control him, certainly testifying concerning who Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Yet there were many that rejected this truth. What about us here today? Do we at times maybe overlook these truths concerning Jesus, concerning Him and concerning His Word? Does familiarity breed contempt for us? As we know the stories so well, the Bible stories, that we've heard them so often about Jesus and who He is. And we overlook the truth that He is actually the Son of God who is there with the Father at the creation of the world through whom all things were made. Do we perhaps reject it? Maybe when it comes to our trust in Him or our prayer life, really wondering, can God actually help me? Can He actually intercede and perform a miracle in my own life? Do we do it as well when it comes to His Word? Maybe even calling him a liar or evil concerning his word. I I know that that seems shocking. Who would ever do that, right? But don't we find ourselves doing that at times? 
It's been said before that blood is thicker than theology. Kind of an interesting phrase to think about. But how true it can be in our own lives. We can stand so firm for God and His Word, but when all of a sudden we ourselves are caught up in a sin or a family member is caught up in a sin that God condemns in His Word, who do we side with? Do we side with God and His Word and say, this is right and this is wrong? Or do we side with that family member and go along with it? We say that what God condemns, if He's condemning their sinful life, well, God must be wrong. God must be evil for saying that their life is a life of sin. Sometimes we fall into this. We too call God's word evil, of the devil, for condemning sin. But it is only those who acknowledge their sin and confess it that receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. There's a curious tradition of uh, various uh, background and, and history I think it's both in the Scandinavian tradition, also, of course, in the Native American tradition. Something that's been passed down that we can see even among our kids sometimes today. When I begin to tell you about it, I'm sure you'll be quite familiar. When two young boys that find themselves to be of the same spirit, have the same interests, the same likes and dislikes, even though they might be from different families, they want to bind themselves together as brothers. And so what do they do? They'll prick their fingers to draw a little blood and then mix that blood together, won't they, to become what? Blood brothers, right? It's that pact of the blood brother to bring these two unrelated individuals together to unite them in this bond of brotherhood, right? It's kind of an interesting picture to think about. Those unrelated brought together by this act, by this drawing of blood and mixing it together, uniting them as one. We think about ourselves. I don't know how many of us here today can claim to have Jewish blood, claim to have blood that's in common with Christ. Probably very few, I would guess. But yet Christ has made us his brother, his sister, his mother. And he has done so through a great act. Very different, though, than the blood brother pact. That blood brother pact first begins in a oneness of spirit, right? That they agree in all things. They have the same interests, the same spirit, the same likes, the same one-mindedness. And that brings them together to make this pact. But for us, it was the complete opposite. We were separated from God by our sin, and yet what did Christ do? Through the shedding of His blood, He made us one with Him. He brought us into His family. As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through Him we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Talks about through the shedding of Christ's blood, He has brought us near to Himself. And we have really, truly become part of that family by the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit that created faith in our hearts. We see the Holy Spirit at work in our text for today. As these crowds gather around Jesus to do what? To hear that word. And upon hearing that word, they believe. They trust in Him. That He is truly the Son of God. That He is their Savior. And this is why... 
Jesus condemns blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In fact, it has often been referred to as the unforgivable sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And why is that the unforgivable sin? Is it that that sin is so great that Christ's blood could not cover it? No. No, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It can and does cover all sin. The reason blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, it's because it calls as damnable and of the devil the very work of God to change your heart, to make you His dear child, to bring you into His family. So have you committed this sin? The sin against the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes for us when we read this section of Scripture, we might wonder, is this something that I'm guilty of? As we know our own weaknesses, our faults and failures, those times when we have been mad at, at God and what His Word says, times when we've been weak, times when we have doubted, have I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, certainly I tell you today, no, you have not committed this sin. For anyone, anyone who questions that in their mind, most certainly has not. For such an individual who blasphemes the work of the Holy Spirit, does not desire Him to work in his heart, does not desire to be God's child, does not desire God's forgiveness, but instead calls as demonic the very blessed work of God. No, you have not committed this sin. But instead, if you've come today with some of those doubts, if you've come today with that weight of guilt upon you, if you've wondered, am I outside of salvation? Well, God's good news is for you too. As He declares, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. And a bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. Be certain of this. God the Holy Spirit has been at work upon your heart. And He is at work even now. As His word is being proclaimed. To make you His own dear child. To bring you into His family as He had. And to keep you in that family. In Galatians 3, Paul writes, In fact, you are all sons of God. Children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Yes, we are children of God. We are part of the family by faith. We are assured of this, especially in our baptisms. We need go go no further than our own baptisms to be reminded of this, that there God marked us as His dear children. There we became brothers and sisters of Christ. There our sins were forgiven. There the Holy Spirit was given, who has brought faith into our hearts. What is the result of all of this? It's the result of the oneness of wills, isn't it? Going back to that, that blood brother analogy, right? The two boys are brought together because they share a similar will, a similar mindset, don't, don't they? Well, that, that's also what God has done for us. As He has brought us into His family, as He has worked upon our hearts by His Holy Spirit, He also transforms our minds and transforms our wills as well. So that we sincerely desire to do the will of God. We are one in heart and spirit with Christ. 
And so when we look at God's word and his commands, we look at them in a completely different light. We say, yes, this is God's good and gracious will. This is God's commands that are good for us. We want to follow them. And God gives us his Holy Spirit to even do so. And when we hear that it is God's will, that God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, we want that as well. We want to be part of it. We want to to share that message and to carry out that work through our church even today. So who is part of Jesus' family? As we see in our lesson, those that are part of Jesus' family are those that have been bound to him through faith. Faith given to them by the Holy Spirit. Not just binds them in faith, but also with one will. That those who are his family members also have the same interests, the same mindset that want what he wants. God the Holy Spirit blesses us as we continue to live and to act according to God's goodwill. Rejoice that you are part and members of Christ's family. Amen.